Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. And I'm... sadly, Tommy Vitor lost in New Orleans. Uh-huh. <laughs> Still on Bourbon Street. <laughs> we have no guest today. This is the brain dead edition of Pod Save America. <laughs> <laughs> you shall endure us for the we, next 40 minutes. We tried to get a couple guests. We just have so much to talk about. We have so it, was much. All, it was planned this way forever. <laughs> yeah. It's very freeing not having a guest. Very loose. <laughs> little housekeeping. Go listen to Love or Leave It from Friday. We had a great it was love actually taped Thursday night. It was taped Thursday night, but given that the news just keeps getting worse, you can actually have the same conversation over and over again. <laughs> I listened to it on the plane home last, yesterday. What did you think? I fell asleep halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long weekend. I, feel like I woke that's up. A Nola issue, not a episode. <laughs> that's issue. true. Hey, credit to you for trying. <laughs> I woke up during the rant wheel. I laughed a lot, and then we landed. That's great. <laughs> um, also listened to with friends like these from Friday on Marie's podcast. And yeah, and that's it. And then you have Pod Save the World on Wednesday. I think you already recorded it, right? Do I still do that? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I've talked about Arwa Damon from uh, CNN International Correspondent. She's based in Istanbul, so we talked a bunch about what's happening in Turkey. Then we talked about some reporting she did um, behind the lines in Mosul when she was actually pinned down for 28 hours by ISIS fighters when she was with Iraqi security forces. She's an incredible reporter. It's a fascinating conversation. Excellent. Check it out. So when uh, on Friday, uh, as we were leaving for the bachelor party, I tweeted, please no one release the P-tape this weekend. I'm taking off for my bachelor party, believing that big news would break. Oh, yeah. I thought we were going to avoid it, except when we were uh, hanging out Saturday during the day, and one of my friends from high school sh- showed me his phone, uh, and it was a New York Times headline that said, Trump told Russians that firing nutjob Comey eased pressure from investigation. I thought that was, I couldn't even believe what I was reading. So apparently during his uh, Trump's meeting with the Russian ambassador and foreign minister, the same meeting where he divulged highly classified intel um, about an ISIS operation, he also said, according to a document that had been prepared and circulated about the meeting, transcript of the meeting, quote, I just fired the head of the FBI. He was crazy, a real nut job. I faced great pressure because of Russia. That's taken off. I mean, <laughs> my favorite part of this is that he joked with Kislyak that he was the only one who hadn't met him, confirming the everything Trump says is projecting and self-incriminating theory of the case. The worst part is that he played down his personal concern about fighting in the Ukraine, essentially telling them that do what you're going to do in Crimea. It's cool with me. Oh, I didn't even hear all that part. <laughs> it was just terrible. <laughs> it's, the bad policymaking is being kind of swamped. By the fact that he's just recklessly committing obstruction of justice in most of the meetings on his schedule, <laughs> even on stuff that's unrelated, like tax reform meeting. Hey, guys, I just want to pause this tax reform meeting to say that I fired Jim Comey to stop the investigation. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that, why is, every time I do that, Pence kicks me out of the table. Pence, uh, what's your problem? <laughs> God. So they asked the White House about this. Spicer did not dispute the account. So we're, at least they've moved past the they start by saying this is fake news. Then they say the real problem is the leaking of the information. You know, now they're just saying like, no, no, it happened. Um, but Spicer's now the Spicer's quote was interesting. He said, "quote By grandstanding and politicizing the investigation, Comey created pressure on her ability to engage and negotiate with Russia." Yeah. So they're th- saying is the reason that Trump said this to the Russians it was a negotiating tactic. It was hurting our ability to conduct foreign policy. That's why Jim Comey had to go. That is that the third of the fourth explanation? It's more I've than completely that. It's lost more count. than that. Because it has to. Because you, let's count them. It's first. Uh, because Rosenstein said that uh, yeah. uh, Hillary had been treated unfairly. Then it was because he was showboating. Then it was because I'm obstructing justice. <laughs> <laughs> now it's because... Th- but no, no, no. But then it was because showboating was obstructed, was making it harder for him 
Nope, you're right. We're at four. We're at four. <laughs> four. No, I believe there was a, a, a subtle intermediary where showboating was a separate issue, for making it harder for the president to do his job. That's right. Fair. Word so, five. I mean, so we now know that Trump, one, asked Comey not to investigate Flynn, two, asked Comey for his loyalty, three, fired Comey, four, told Lester Holt he fired Comey because of the Russian investigation, five, told the Russians that he fired Comey because of the Russian investigation. Uh, and also made Comey feel uncomfortable, like he was on a bad first date or something, by calling him and texting him, just checking in all the time. I mean, the whole thing is just couldn't be more weird. Oh, yeah, that was the story on Friday. Yeah, I the forgot ben about Wittes that one. stuff. Where Comey hid behind the blue curtains. Six eight Comey hid behind <laughs> yes, the blue curtains so Trump wouldn't call him out in a meeting. He was wearing Comey flush. That's a joke. A little joke from a show called Love or Leave It. You can check out right now. <laughs> I mean, if it looks like a duck, you know. It's well, like that, we're, we're at that point right now. Matt Iglesias just, wrote a piece. He obstructed justice. He right. definitely obstructed justice. Matt Iglesias wrote this piece that I think came out this morning basically saying that, like, it's hard because it's all right out in the open. Like, basically, right. this is the stuff that's supposed to come at the end of the investigation after all the work has been done. And then you kind of put together this proof that he obstructed justice. But we kind of started with that. So it feels quite strange. Like, wait, we got to the end of the story at the very beginning. But he did. So that that happened. And at the same time, the New York Times story comes out. Of course, the competition between the New York Times and the Washington Post to see who can bring, to, bring down this administration. Two first. great athletes making each other better. <laughs> it's it's great. Know? And also doping. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Washington Post runs a story uh, that a senior administration official is target is now a target of the probe up until now. Most of the targets of the investigation have been former Trump officials or people that were on the campaign, like Paul Manafort and uh, and Michael Flynn, who's been fired. So someone who's currently in the White House, someone, quote, very close to the president, senior advisor. I frankly Jared found it. Kushner. Well, I, <laughs> well my, I was making a joke. You missed my I'm joke. Sorry. Oh, what were you God. about to say? Are you okay? No. I didn't know you were making a joke. Yeah, I interrupted that's you what before I was, you did. could get to the punchline. Yeah, oh, you, know. you know what? It's done now. You should have said... Here comes a joke, and don't, then I would have let you go. Hey, don't interrupt the maestro, okay? He's, he's, he's conducting over there. I want you guys to imagine that John had not sent Jared Kushner, and then I said, I thought it was reckless that the Washington Post uh, refused to name the guy, but did say it rhymed with Barrett Kushner. <laughs> I, th- I had thought about the rhyming thing. Nailed it. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it could include current administration <laughs> officials who have acknowledged contacts with Russian officials include Jared Kushner, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. So we're not talking about like bumbling Carter Page accidentally landing in Russia when he meant to fly to Kiev or yeah. something like it's that. It's not Mike this Flynn like looking to make a mortgage people. payment by taking a trip to uh, on RT's dime. Yeah, exactly. Yashar Ali, who writes for the New York, New York Magazine and Daily Beast, soon after the post came out, said he can confirm it was Jared Kushner. He confirmed with four different people close to the uh, White House. Things we know about Jared... Yeah, well, we know a lot about Jared, but <laughs> very um, handsome <laughs> he is, which is very annoying. <laughs> he met with uh, Ambassador Kislyak, the Russian ambassador, in late November. He's already acknowledged that. Uh, he's already said he met with the head of a Russian bank that has been under U.S. sanctions since 2014. And we know that he omitted those contacts with foreign leaders on his national security questionnaire. Oopsie doopsie. Uh, oopsie doopsie. In other parts of that Washington Post story that were interesting, um, in addition to collusion. Investigators are now looking at whether possible financial crimes were committed by people close to the president. Uh, we also know that this has gone from a counterintelligence investigation to an actual criminal investigation. And uh, a lot of people close to the White House are worried that investigators will now be taking more public steps, meaning that they will, they're will they using grand juries to get testimony from people. So a lot of this is going to get out in the open now. And I believe a conspiracy theorist online did say that the Supreme Court released the impeachment eagle. 
uh, which has been flying over the Capitol. <laughs> Can you? What is? That? Was the pitch me so district joke? Was yes. that, okay, I can't. I can't know which jokes anymore. We're <laughs> really reported by Louis Mensch. <laughs> um, the other thing that happened this morning is Michael Flynn is is pleading the fifth. Oh yes. which is a very smart legal strategy. <laughs> I think pretty much every lawyer worth his or her salt would recommend yes. that you do that. When you're a criminal, it's best to not talk about it in open hearing at Congress. Well, <laughs> non-criminals plead the fifth too, but like it's a terrible PR strategy. But it also just gets back to the point where like literally everything this administration does is hypocritical because they savaged the guy who set up Hillary Clinton's private server for taking the fifth and you can find a tweet from every single senior administration official being like criminals don't plead the fifth about him and now Michael Flynn is doing exactly that interesting Reuters story too that the administration is now trying to actively undermine Bob Mueller via a little ethics rule. So the White House has been reviewing the Code of Federal Regulations, which restricts newly hired government lawyers from investigating their prior law firm's clients for one year after their hiring. Um, Mueller's firm represented Jared Kushner and Paul Manafort. I mean, think about what's at issue here. I mean, wouldn't it logically wouldn't it be that if your firm used to represent that individual that you might be finding something in their favor or that's sort of predisposed to right, help it's them? Presumably designed, it's designed because you're going to be too nice to them, not that you're going to be too hard on them. I thought it was a bit of a weird... It's so back-ass words. It's just, uh, once again, seems like they're trying to obstruct something. Yeah. Could be justice. I also love the idea of a White House lawyer, like a Trump White House lawyer, like finally discovering the code of ethics and being like, oh, <laughs> I don't know, didn't know about this, didn't know about that. Oh, dear. They're, they're, Don, hey, Don, we signed that shit? Oh, my, oh my God. goodness. We so screwed. The de- we can end this little worry here because the Department of Justice can provide a waiver allowing Mueller to do this. So I, and this you is, know the Department of Justice yeah, in well, this White House. <laughs> Sterling reputation. But no, what I didn't understand is if, if Sessions has recused himself from the investigation, it wasn't clear to me whether the waiver would come from Sessions. From, it has to be Rosenstein. From right? Rosenstein. But he's right. now, he, Rosenstein's now a possible witness to obstruction of justice. So he'll have to step aside. Eventually, it's just going to be some junior associate. No. <laughs> his first day at the Justice Department. Just, you know, I came here to make a difference for my I'm in charge of it all. <laughs> it does feel like, it does feel like if they tried to use this backwards ethics attempt to get rid of Bob Mueller, that Congress would, would be... Come on, buddy. I mean, you got you got. Oh, 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 this Congress, you think? I know, I know. But like all of them have now leaned so hard into this investigation as their way of ducking all future questions about this issue that if suddenly they just upended the thing by saying there's an ethics problem for Mueller, feels like that doesn't fly. I agree with that. Can we go back to something? Because I couldn't quite understand this. I don't know if you guys have any other information on this. What financial crimes could they be looking for? Like, I, I don't understand. Tax evasion? I don't think we know. I don't even know if it's necessarily related to the campaign. Right. It might be related to... But it is related to Russia, we know. Right. I mean, well, we know <laughs> Flynn may have had had a financial... Definitely had a financial relationship because he got paid by uh, RT, which is just being paid by Putin. Obviously, Carter Page has, Jared. We don't know what Jared's financial dealings are. We don't... We just don't know. We don't know. Fascinating. Um, and then, very exciting, very exciting, James Comey, our friend James Comey, will be testifying publicly after Memorial Day. <laughs> so is circle that, that date on the calendar. Have we, we, might actually, have have a, we might have to have a special pod episode around right. the testimony. Have they said? Do they meet after Memorial like Tuesday or after Memorial like the day they haven't set a date yet? I don't know. They, yeah. I don't think they have a specific date. I haven't heard of one either. Mm. But that's probably mm. uh, mm-hmm. that's going to be very interesting. So here's some questions. Like, what do we do about this in the meantime? Like, we're sort of waiting around for either the New York Times and Washington Post to continue breaking 
incredibly crazy news at about 5 p.m. Eastern every day, or we're just waiting for Jim Comey to testify after Memorial Day. Like, what else do we do? Do we keep up the pressure until then? Do we keep talking about this? Do we just wait and let it sit? I mean, I just think, you know, the 123, four days of this administration have felt like a lifetime, but we're going to have to prepare ourselves that independent uh, or special counsels take a very long time. The average length of investigation is 1,154 days. Whitewater was 3,000 days. Iran-Contra was 2,500. These things, they have to set up, you know, entities to to pay for these investigations, to hire all these lawyers, to get the thing ramped up, to interview people. So it's not going to happen quickly. Yeah. Uh, also, I think we need to not yeah. forget about all the other stuff going on. I mean, right. I, I do think, though, if, if Jim Comey gets up there and testifies publicly that Trump did indeed tell him to lay off Michael Flynn, that Trump did try to obstruct justice in some way. I mean, like, there, he's going to be asked those questions. But then what? I mean, he's already said it in a memo that was contemporaneous. We know about it. But it's not like right. the world sort of ended. It's not like Congress found a backbone. They're still just sort of... Well, speaking of backbones, as Marco Rubio said recently, he's like, well, so far all we've seen is news reports of these memos and stuff like that, which is true. I mean, once you have an FBI director, former FBI director, under oath saying it publicly, it seems like... That's obstructing justice. That's grounds for impeachment. Like, you know, and you're right. They might not Congress. This Congress won't act. But it seems like it's pretty close to there. You know? Yeah. I mean, the other thing I was I was thinking about is that, look, we've been beating the Russia drum and for months and months and months. But what's actually driven the Russian story has been non-political events, or at least non-partisan events, right? Democrats saying that this Russia story is a big deal didn't matter at all until there was the Comey memo to the reports of what was going on inside the meeting with Russia. So... What's happening on the Russia front that turned it into a real scandal on the that, that's making people talk about impeachment and the 25th Amendment and all that had absolutely nothing to do with anything Democrats did, right? You know, remember that two-week period where we had Schiff going after Nunes and Nunes going to the White House? Like, that drove the story, but it didn't elevate it to this level of, you know, what Trump actually did, what Comey actually did drove it to that level. So I'm, I'm really starting to come around to the argument that we need to be talking about health care, we need to be talking about... Uh, Wall Street, we need to be talking about the actual economic issues people care about, not because the Russia story isn't important, but because that story is going to kind of take care of itself. And meanwhile, 13 dudes are writing the Republican health care bill. Yeah, it's beyond our control. Yeah, is basically it. This is Pod Save America. Stick around. There's more great show coming your way. Let's talk about Trump's foreign trip. Adventures abroad. His big reset. Can he regain his momentum? Axios thinks uh, uh, he's, he's got traction. Guys, I'm trying. I really am with Axios. But this morning was... Oh, it was. Uh, he didn't fall down the stairs. Well, yeah, and he managed yeah. to stay awake during a speech and we didn't call Islam our yeah. enemy. I, I'm glad things went well when he landed in an absolute monarchy that allows no <laughs> dissent or press access or yeah. women to the attend all, the, the all events. To- the all-male Toby Keith concert. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just such a trite framing. It's like yeah. he leaves his legal troubles at home. Because now he's in Saudi Arabia, yeah. where he can't be asked about legal trips. Like, what are you talking about? It's also not how these trips work. Every right. trip I ever went on for four years in the White House, the entire focus of the press stories coming out of it were about something else. Something back home, some gaffe, some bullshit. Yeah. So the big, so he gives a speech in Saudi Arabia about Islam. The, the headline there really is that he just completely reversed himself on all of his campaign rhetoric. Um, I mean, he got to a good place. He said, it's, you know, this is not a battle between different faiths or civilizations. He called Islam one of the world's great faiths, which was different than during the campaign when he said, Islam hates us. That was a direct quote. 
Interestingly, in the speech, the draft of the speech avoided using the phrase radical Islamic terrorism. It used Islamist instead. But Trump screwed up and used radical Islamic terrorism anyway. Instead of just saying he misspoke, a senior official said he did it because he was exhausted. He's an exhausted guy. Well, look, <laughs> he's like a tired boy. So it was what? a long flight. He also had to do several hours of obstruction of justice while on the plane, right? So that was a working flight. Lots of redactions. Um, it's like, it just shows, like, yes, Trump is the, the incompetent one, and like, there's too much blaming of his staff sometimes. They can't fix a lot of the issues that are. But, like, what a stupid fucking thing for a campaign official, or for an administration but, official, say he was exhausted. Yeah, I mean, but, like, also, let's let our leaders be exhausted when they take overnight flights to foreign countries, then have to get up and give speeches. This was always the thing, like, Hillary was always attacked. People, Jeb was attacked for being low energy. Hillary's people were so sensitive to any suggestion that she might get tired after flying to like 179 countries. It's just, it's silly. But the thing that drives me crazy here is this Islamist Islam discussion. It's like, yeah. it may be so frustrated for so long that I can hardly muster the rage anymore. But when we killed bin Laden, we found documents in his compound where he talked about rebranding al-Qaeda in part because we had been using more precise language and talking about a war against terrorists and not a war against Islam or religion or all Muslims. Republicans for years demagogued this. Their primary talking point against Obama is that he wouldn't say radical Islam. He wouldn't name the problem. And now the fact that they're walking back is showing that the, these eight years of criticism were just posturing. It was just acting for Fox News and for Breitbart. And it's infuriating. It's, and it's again, so stupid. <laughs> I don't want to pin this just on Trump. No, this, no, it's the whole establishment. Marco fucking Rubio, all of them. Every single Republican that ran for that nomination made that same criticism of radical Islamic terrorism. Trump gets into office. H.R. McMaster is the national security advisor. And right away he says, that is a problematic phrase to use. We shouldn't use it. And so now they're not using and, it. And, and, I, and of and, course we all knew that. Of course we know it was stupid. Of course. And by the way, it's Every probably the first time anyone intelligent actually explained the issue to Donald Trump, first of all. Yeah, the turning that into an actual substantive point that Republicans viewed as central to their argument is another reminder of all the ways in which the Republican Party had kind of lost its way and become unhinged long before Donald Trump showed up. It was a completely empty, completely stupid argument. Right. It was without content. It was a way to call Democrats weak with, with no substance behind it whatsoever. They did it for years to the point where they convinced themselves of it. It allows us to debate this silly little shiny object while making no effort to actually solve the problem of extremism and the roots of it and everything else. It's also true for like this so like silly Obama bowed to the Saudi leaders. He went on an apology tour. Guess what? Trump bowed a little bit before the Saudis. Uh, no one seems to care about that. But it's again, it's just it's just a concocted thing in the right wing apparatus. Despite all their complaints about the liberal media, they're able to create these narratives that stick for eight full years. And, and it's just know, a waste of all our time. And you know what? If we were a bunch of real partisan hacks like the assholes on Fox and the rest of them, we'd sit here today criticizing Trump for bowing to the South. Bow we don't care. deeper I don't than care. Barack Obama today. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Oh, did you see that Donald Trump bowed, his Barack Obama, bowed to the Saudi king today, yet again giving up on his American first pledge? Is that a Rush Who Limbaugh? Who is that? That's a Rush Limbaugh. Oh, I think it's pretty good. <laughs> it's the first time I've ever tried it. Bill, I got a thumbs up from inside the studio. Bill and Tanya are both nodding. Weak, weak, dumb uh. Trump. <laughs> but, I mean, but like, meanwhile, it's actually hard to do. It hurts your stomach. I mean, meanwhile, Trump goes over there, so angry. and he's like, "We're not here to lecture you." He's giving the Saudis a complete pass on human rights, and Bush and Obama and others they push them on human rights and opening up society and allowing freedom of expression because we actually think there's a link between oppressing people and 
ultimately turning to extremism. Roger Ailes is dead. Did Eric Trump kill him? (laughs) That's what they do. That's the liberal Rush Limbaugh. And wait, I want to get back into the substantive new character. New character. I forgot what this show's about. No, and look, I I think it's fair to say, Tommy, that like love the Rush Limbaugh. We could never be perfect on pushing various countries on human rights because sometimes you need to work with these countries on other things right so like we didn't go as hard as we could at saudi arabia on some of these issues we don't do it with china as much as we could because there's trade-offs right but like at the same time trump not even mentioning it but trump sort of went out of his way not to criticize them on human rights right yeah well in fact he he said to them we're not here to lecture you or give you a pass on human rights and, and I, I just think it's an abandoning of u.s values and what we thought were universal principles that obama talked about in the cairo speech they talked about throughout the year in spring that we we should stand up for as a country instead it's like well if you give us security cooperation we're good you give me a toby keith concert we're buds like let's go <laughs> yeah i mean look both parties have been hypocritical on Saudi Arabia. Our Saudi Arabia, uh, looking the other way, policy has been despicable. And there have been trade-offs, and I think liberals have been very critical of the way in which we treat Saudi Arabia. And, you know, that's a reasonable debate to have, right? How hard should we push them? How far should we go? And I would say, like, Barack Obama did more than most, but not enough. And now Donald Trump has abandoned it completely but and is just holding a glowing orb. Yeah. <laughs> what are you glowing like, orb with these no, people? I mean, I, I don't want to play politics about it because, like, is it hypocritical or is it just that there's genuine difficult trade-offs between human rights and our own security that you have to make when you do these things? You know, I don't know. I, I mean, I think, look, it, it, smart you, people disagree. That's what I'm saying. You yeah. make choices. And you also have different leverage in different countries. You know, there's certain countries you have to push on rhetorically. There's certain countries you can do more by working internally or quietly behind the scenes. Uh, I, I think reasonable people can disagree about whether we should have pushed the Saudis harder. They're certainly not good actors. The the Wahhabi schools, the extremist schools that have been feeding terrorism for decades are all from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So all that money comes from there. Do you think, by the way, it was a bizarre choice to give a big speech about Islam in Saudi Arabia and that to be their first stop? It seems like an odd setting to do that. I mean, I think it was... And it, the it was audience a, was like a bunch of like <laughs> leaders and officials and it, it was just like... It was associated with the GCC conference the mm. gulf countries conference and i think there were 50 oh, that's leaders in the room so I, I think the setting actually makes sense um it's all it's interesting that he went to israel he's there right now israel this early in his term when when other presidents have waited a lot longer did you see by the way this is right before we started recording what he did in israel when he was with netanyahu what he said about the, the meeting it's self- <laughs> what so, so, oh, so he's, he's, up, he's up there in just netanyahu, and someone said something about the story about him divulging classified info about the sources blah, blah blah and trump goes i never mentioned the word israel i never said israel i never said israel in the meeting so now there's one of two <laughs> no pos- one ever said he right. said israel so no one ever said he said israel so it's like when i divulged secret israeli information i did not say israel by name <laughs> oh shit there's, also, there's lots there's just like beautiful little moments stripping out of this trip like my favorite anecdote was he walked up to cc and he said love your shoes boy those shoes man and then and then my- of course i, I can't remember his Al- some i think it was al cc you are amazing, Mr. Trump. You achieve the impossible. Because you yes. have a unique, you, you have a unique personality, which is funny. You have a unique personality that will allow you to achieve the impossible. Well, we've been, we've Trump been, goes, uh, I agree, <laughs> which I, I respect. But uh, we were talking about this before that 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 if you were telling a foreign leader how to deal with Donald Trump, you would just say, go up to him and tell him, finally, somebody I can deal with, a real smart guy. You know what you're doing. My people know you're the guy. You're the guy who can help us get these things done. Never been so impressed by an American president before, and that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You just have to suck up to him. You can't talk about specifics because he's a dotty old racist. And then you let your real the real work goes on behind the scenes. You shake his hand. You let him touch a glowing orb. You tell him how great he is. Off to Israel. And by the way, just a, just a PSA to Twitter. Not one of your orb jokes has been funny. 
Not a single one. I, you know what? I saw a bunch of orb shit last night. I decided not to delve in. Didn't I don't laugh. know what happened with the orb. I don't care. I don't want to know. The orb was quite silly. Uh, let's, you know, I, it is silly. I still silly. don't understand the orb. It's an odd <laughs> picture. The jokes were bad. Hard to make a joke. It's because like a hat on a hat. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> as, they, as they say. As they say. Uh, well, we just mentioned earlier we should be talking more about healthcare and stuff like that. So there's a lot going on at home with both healthcare and the budget. The White House is releasing their official budget this week, today or tomorrow, but most of the details have leaked out. Actually, let's talk about the budget first, then we'll get to healthcare. So the budget is going to uh, recommend huge cuts to Medicaid, as if the House health care bill wasn't enough. Uh, they're basically confirming that they want $800 billion cut from Medicaid, which means that they are putting their stamp of approval on the House health care bill. Um, $800 billion cut from Medicaid would leave 10 million people uninsured. Um, they also want to make massive cuts to the food stamp program, to children's health insurance. Kick kids off health insurance, uh, to disability insurance, to pensions for federal Social workers. Security disabil- disability Social Security disability insurance, disability which is, a, again, one of his key promises. Yep. Pensions for federal workers, refundable tax credits for the working poor is on the chopping block. And uh, they want to save money by um, throwing in work requirements for welfare. So, this, I mean, even Republicans in Congress are saying this budget is fucking crazy. I don't really know what the, what is the White House doing? It's that's so unpopular to do that. I don't know. It's like Mick Mulvaney, who's just a Freedom Caucus member that ended up now the uh, OMB director for the White House, the budget director, has now just decided to go nuts because the dotty old racist in the Oval Office doesn't really know what's going know on. enough about what's going on. It seems like an odd time for the White House to cook up a a budget plan that polls at like 2% and hand it off to a Congress that's not going to want to touch that thing or do anything to implement it. Yeah, they're basically putting themselves on the record for something that's not even going to... Exactly ever pass. Go anywhere. And right. So, and also, as always, it, it claims to balance the budget within 10 years. Of course, that's based on incredibly optimistic projections of growth, which uh, have no bearing in reality, right? But that's a classic Republican lie. That's what Jeb Bush would do. That's what Mark Rubio would do. But also, keep in mind, it balances the budget in 10 years and cuts spending by $1.7 trillion, which is in part to make up for a new tax cut that is already accounted for because they're accounting for the spending in the AHCA. Right. So, they're like, we must balance the budget. But first, let us deepen the hole by getting rid of the estate tax and cutting all the taxes uh, uh, that were included as part of the AHCA. And then, then we'll get to the children's health insurance. Meanwhile, while um, the Senate is, we'll talk about the Senate, uh, their plan to write up a health care bill soon. But before that, Trump administration is basically trying to do everything they can to screw up the uh ACA, America, the, the Obamacare already, by uh, threatening to get rid of the subsidies. As we know, the Trump administration has to pay insurers subsidies in order for them to keep deductibles somewhat low for working poor and poor people who are buying health insurance. So Trump keeps telling advisors now he wants to get rid of the subsidies. If you do get rid of these subsidies, it will melt down the insurance markets. We know that. And so already there's a lot of uncertainty from insurance companies who have to plan their rates out ahead of time. They have to do that in the next couple of weeks. And Trump's basically holding these subsidies hostage. Yeah. I, I think this, uh, this is really important and really dangerous. And we need to adjust the way we talk about it. This isn't that Trump is trying to under, undermine Obamacare. He's trying to undermine the U.S. healthcare system. That's right. That's He's right. trying to drive up healthcare costs for like 7 million poor people to harm his political opponents. It, it is as cynical and disgusting a thing as he's done in office, period. It also, yeah. I mean, at this point, too, if if he does this and he ends these subsidies uh, and the insurance markets start melting down, 
No one's going to blame nobody. No one's blaming Obama for this. He's on the record. Try. They'll yeah. try. They'll definitely try. Oh yeah, Obama. I mean, every day Trump talks about this. He says Obamacare's dead. It doesn't exist. It's a fall. It's a fallacy. No, but like, he'll, he'll do an interview with Judge Gene Pirro. Where he'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was uh, undermining the insurance market. Yeah, I loved it. It was great. But again, this is one of those. I things- was obstructing justice and undermining the insurance market. That was my day. Been very busy. Yeah, it's one of these things though where. This is something that's actually going to affect people. It's not just some crazy thing Trump says. It's not a conspiracy. It's not like a investigation thing. It's people are going to suddenly see their premiums go up or lose their health insurance, and they're going to see who's in office. It can be Donald Trump and a Republican you Congress. You know, for years, for years, right, Republicans have engaged in a kind of brinksmanship with the government that basically put ideology ahead of the country, right? That's what they did on the debt ceiling. They threatened the country with default. You know, they said it's a pretty nice economy. We've got there. It'd be a shame if something happened to it. Basically, they put a gun to the head of the economy. And 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 first, Barack Obama uh, negotiated. He negotiated with a gun to his head and decided. And uh, thereafter, that was a mistake. Right. And then decided to realize. That, then decided he wasn't going to negotiate over that, and that was the right decision. And and it redounded to the benefit of the negotiations thereafter. This is the first time. <laughs> this is now the the next step of that process, which is. Donald Trump isn't just going to put a gun to the head of the healthcare system. He's going to shoot it. He's got a gun in his mouth. Like I don't yeah. know what he's doing politically. It's the <laughs> dumbest thing he could possibly do. It's almost as if he's too incompetent for the job of president. Donald Trump sabotaging <laughs> the healthcare system. The saboteurs strike again. It's liberal Rush Limbaugh at 7.44 in the morning. I just took three <laughs> opiates and I am ready to rumble. Oh my God. <laughs> Donald Trump refused to grab Melania's hand. Why? I gotta get deeper. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, so post bachelor party edition is going well. It's going. I think it's going great. Right. It's been fun. I feel very sharp. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. This is Pod Save America, and there's more on the way. What do we know about the Senate bill so far? We know that McConnell has told people, McConnell's lieutenants have said, uh, he does want to vote on this thing. They think that um, it won't be very soon, but it won't be later than July. The general outlines of the plan are they're working to make the tax credits in the House more generous. So they're trying to make the House credits closer to what the current Obamacare subsidies are. They're trying to wind down Medicaid more slowly. We've heard rumors of not doing it until 2020. It's basically kicking this whole thing until the next presidential election and trying to keep the pre-existing conditions, protections in place. (laughs) So basically, they are trying to undo as much of what the House did as possible while still having something that's not quite Obamacare. Yeah, it's... it's (laughs) Well, so look... If we end up with something that's halfway between the House bill and Obamacare, that is still terrible. But we should just brace ourselves for the coverage that will be about how moderate it is and how how far along it's come thanks to the work of people like Murkowski and Collins and all the rest. It's just so silly because what, what would happen then is we would just have a bill that was like, Obamacare is basically still in existence. Uh, what the Republicans did was they just kicked some more people off their insurance and, uh, and raised some premiums on some old and sick people. Sick right. people. That was their replacement. Finally. It's just like, kick a few more people off health care in this country. So we will know the effects of the House bill. It looks like this new CBO score, finally, of the... Uh, of better the, late than never, guys. Better late than never. What? Will come on Wednesday for the House bill. So that will, that <laughs> yeah. will provide, hey. provide a new round of, uh, 
of fodder. Hey, for work all a of weekend, us. CEO, <laughs> team score makers. Well, I guess the kind of thing is they blew their deadline, and then it's like, well, let's just take mm, our time. Good, we're good. It's just <laughs> chilling to read these stories about McConnell, though, because it's not just the thirteen anymore. Thirteen senators he's allowing to be in part of the process. He's bringing in all twenty. He's kind of allowed a little bit of a reprieve because this is this is off the front burner because everyone's talking about Russia, and you just know that guy is going to find something that he can pass, then he can cook up and send over to the house. And it's McConnell it's, smart. The process and the process fouls are just the most galling part of this because none mm-hmm. of it is public and no hearings will be open and he'll just McCon- jam it <laughs> McConnell and Ryan are equally cynical but McCon- McConnell is as smart as Paul Ryan thinks Paul Ryan is yeah and look and I think it's going to be a challenge because all those things like you that you just said are right also this Russia stuff will suck up a lot of the oxygen uh, in terms of media coverage and it's going to be hard for like I think that all of us need to keep the pressure on Congress as much as possible. And you're right, a lot of this is going to go on behind closed doors. And so it's going to be like the CBO score on Wednesday is a big moment, right? That'll make headlines. That's something to organize around. But um, McConnell is going to try to keep this process as quiet behind closed doors as possible so that there's not a lot of attention on this. And they see the same numbers that we do. They know that the House is in jeopardy. They see this the hourglass running out on the Trump presidency. And they know that if they're going to be losing a lot of seats, if they're going to pay a big price... They got Gorsuch through. They get this health care bill through. They get a couple more priorities through. Tax cuts. That's the what tax they want. cuts for the rich go through. They'll have achieved something before um, you know the timer runs out. One interesting thing is that um, there's a couple stories that uh, some of these Democratic candidates in special elections across the country are not running on Trump or Russia stuff. They're, some aren't even mentioning Trump, but they're running on the House Republican health care bill. So Rob Quist, that special election in Montana is Thursday. Uh, everyone get ready for that. He's ending with spots on health care uh, that do not mention Trump at all. Uh, he actually talks about how he has a pre-existing condition. He uh, had a botched surgery that has left him with a pre-existing condition. And he has closed to within single digits of, uh, of his opponent. So most people, we should say this ahead of Thursday because we're going to have one of those days on Thursdays, but there's a special election. And if he doesn't win, it's going to be like failure for Democrats. Maybe Trump is all powerful and never going to lose, and all this thing is, you know, it's a hard election. The Montana special election is a very, very it's a difficult. statewide election in Montana, which is a Republican state. Not the most complicated thing in the world. Yep. But I think, I mean, the fact like, that we're getting close is amazing. Yeah. Getting close is amazing. And, and we could like, still win. And exactly. We could still win. And even if he doesn't win, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't fight as hard as possible in races like that, you know? And he's running, and he seems to be running the right kind of campaign. It's populist, it's focused on the issues. There's a lot of money in this race now. Yeah, the Triple C went in. He's done everything he could. You Thanks know? to us. Finger picking guitars in the ads, beautiful settings, barbecues. <laughs> That's what we're looking for. Um, That's what Pod Save America is looking for. We're and, looking for strumming, vistas, wins elections. <laughs> So, so if you're in Montana, get out there and help Rob Quist. Maybe Please. make some phone calls. This is it. This is the home stretch. It would be nice. It would be a nice win. But again, seats like Montana and Georgia. This would be great for Democrats to win these. They're good special election opportunities for pickups. But there are, after we said this before about Ossoff's race, there are about 80 seats that are more Democratic-leaning than John Ossoff's in Georgia. Yeah. And we need 24 to win the House back. Yeah. I mean, all we're learning is that every single district in America is going to be a swing district, but you're not going to win some of those districts. Right. And, the, and the, the deal is to just fight like hell for them. One more thing I want to talk about before we end today is this fucking conspiracy theory that has been popping up now on the right with Seth Rich. Uh, Seth Rich was a DNC staffer who was uh, shot and killed late at night in Washington, D.C. Uh, a long time ago, back in... I think July of 2016, right? So no one knows why he was killed, but they 
pretty much think it was a robbery gone wrong, right? So now it's popped up on the right. There's some conspiracy, right, that Rich might have leaked DNC emails to WikiLeaks. This has been debunked now. A million times. Yeah, I mean, it's been floating around for a long time. The, it's been the idea that maybe he was the source of WikiLeaks, which would absolve all the Russia allegations. Because if they didn't do it, then Seth Rich did it. Then how could possibly Russia have colluded or interfered? Right. And so last week, a local Fox affiliate in D.C. ran a story about this, citing Rod Wheeler, who's a legal commentator for Fox, saying he had evidence that Rich might have leaked the DNC emails to WikiLeaks. Wheeler later said that Fox told him to say that. He had no real evidence, no info, debunked the story. Seth Rich's poor, grieving family has been like, sent a cease and desist letter, said this is not the case, said please stop talking about this. And Sean fucking Hannity and now Newt Gingrich have been floating that this, Newt Gingrich called it an assassination. Sean Hannity has been devoting like a segment a night to this thing. So so first of all, so Dave Weigel. Uh, in the post, wrote a great takedown of all of this and how ridiculous it is, and how there's just no evidence for any of this. But, but even the point that Sean Hannity keeps making, which is, if Seth Reach leaked the emails, there was no collusion. There were multiple hacks across different places. Right. There's the DNC. There was the the Triple C. There was John Podesta. There was a massive operation to hack these emails that goes well beyond Seth Rich. So it's like, first of all, just on its face, the conspiracy theory doesn't even make any sense. There's no evidence for it whatsoever. And, you know. Liberals, we have our nuts that are telling us things we want to hear, but they don't fly in private jets. You know, they don't make tens of millions of dollars. They, they just the, don't have the audience. They don't the, have the massive audience of a Sean Hannity. They aren't the former Speaker of the fucking House. It is despicable. It's it's willful lying to their audience. And, and like, what's so frustrating is like Fox News is patient zero here. They're the source of the incorrect information, and now they are blasting it all over humanity. These disgusting lies, despite the fact that. Seth Rich's family has sent a cease and desist to this creep private investigator who was not paid by them or hired by them. He was paid by some random Texas businessman who believes in conspiracy theories. And these guys are they're like Sean Hannity. They're, they're getting in bed and they're aided and abetted by Julian Assange and all these creepy, weird actors, RT, the Russian propaganda network. And they're absolutely fine with finding common cause with these people and spreading something they know to be a lie because it will harm Democrats. Sean Hannity is a very bad person. He's an awful person. And why is Newt Gingrich doing this? Because he's a washed up piece of garbage masquerading in D.C. in a human suit trying to peddle a book. And like he's aided and abetted by reporters who cover the shit he says and book him on Fox News Sunday. And I was I was going to say the thing about Newt Gingrich is, yes, he is. He is part of he is still part of the official Washington club. He gets the fucking contracts to go on cables. He goes to the cocktail parties. People invite them to their institutes and to different conferences. They make his wife an ambassador. So they can have a bipartisan conference with like, oh, look, Newt Gingrich and some Democrat are getting along. No, no, no. This is not about someone who has like a different theory on fucking tax reform or health care. This is someone who's peddling a dark, awful conspiracy theory, and he should not be part of polite society. It, like you just, it's just like stop. You know, but it, it's it's not unlike Benghazi. You know, which it was that was a, a tragedy, and the State Department should have had more security to protect those people. Period. It's also true that the intelligence picture changed about why it happened over time, but. Fox and the right wing establishment put years and years and years of effort and time and money into exploiting the deaths of American citizens for political gain. But I mean, you made an interesting point. You said Fox Fox is patient zero for this. Like, Fox is patient zero for all of this bullshit. They're patient zero for Trump. Like, this is why, I mean, I, I just keep thinking about this. Like, if whatever percentage of the country that watch it, that gets their news from Fox, that gets their news from 
Rush Limbaugh, who's joined the pod this morning, that gets their news from Breitbart and all these things. Like, it's a critical segment of the population. And as long as they continue to watch these news sources and be fed these conspiracy theories, I don't know how this country gets past what has happened with Trump and stuff like that. Like, I I don't know how to reach those people. We can talk about, you know, going to the Midwest and Democrats honing their message and all this. All that stuff is true. It has to do with globalization, economic inequality and stuff like that. But it's also true that we have a large segment of our media in this country that is feeding poison to a large part of the population. And I don't know how to I don't know how to break that. Yeah, there's just no. The other thing, well, the, the, the thing before the election, there was this feeling like that the Fox News echo chamber was actually hurting them a bit, right? Because it forces their primaries to the right. It forces them to adopt these crazy positions. They sound crazy. They sound deranged. It doesn't appeal to the majority of the country. And had Trump lost, it would have been the, I believe, the fifth of sixth time that a Republican had lost the popular vote. Right. Well, he still did lose the popular vote in the era of Fox News, right? Fox News is good at inoculating millions of people against outside information, but it's not exactly a big tent. But here we are paying the price for the fact that it was a little too close for the comfort and now their kind of derangement has spread into the White House in this sort of, I don't know, it's just yeah. the most depressing thing. That's I, it. We also have to watch. I mean, it, it, there's also interesting question about whether Fox News was a, a personality-driven organization with the Bill O'Reilly's of the world, oh. whether they can maintain their numbers after he's gone, after Roger Ailes is gone, after some of the... the crusty old men start getting booted from the place. So far, I think Tucker Carlson's lost a huge piece of the audience share. I think CNN and MSNBC are doing better. So, I mean, hopefully there's some hope. But what we've also seen is what were passed as news shows, like The Five and some of these other terrible programs they have, have gotten as bad as the Hannity's of the world. Yeah. No, it is good news that Sean Hannity has slipped to third in the ratings. <laughs> Sorry, Sean. Uh, Sean Hannity! <laughs> I can't do it anymore. Sean, <laughs> Sean Hannity slipping to third in the ratings because he's a traitor to his country. Sean. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's interesting what you said, Lovett, though. It is, it is hurting the Republican Party, and it may not have hurt them electorally this time around, and they may have been able to hold on to power for all the various reasons that we've talked about here. But it goes to show that it's hurt the Republican Party, but a a damaged Republican Party that is run by conspiracy theorists and lunatics also hurts the Democratic Party and hurts the country overall. The entire like we we actually need a healthy Republican Party in this country. Right. I mean, look, you know, it's because... actually hurt their ability to govern. Right. I mean, one consequence of the fact that we've like I was listening like to all the different kind of commentary this morning. This sort of like ponderous. Look, it's interesting the way Donald Trump's positions seem to have changed once he's entered the White House. Fascinating the way he no longer refers to them as insane Muslim murder men, but now <laughs> refers to them actually as a faith of peace. Interesting. I wonder why. that. Well, it's happening because there's an entire apparatus designed to lie to people, demagogue issues and make it impossible for these people to govern like adults once they reach office. I mean, that's that is why Donald Trump was not able to pass a Republican agenda in his first 100 days. He did not pass one. They could repeal some some regulations. He could write some executive orders. But when it came time to govern, there's just no there there. So this is ultimately, in some ways, a zero-sum game, right? A, a, a An apparatus of communication that hurts the Republican Party is good for Democrats. But at a certain point, like they are just hurting the country. Yeah. I mean, the, well, the most annoying thing is when everyone declares that the most recent 
thing Donald Trump did as a distraction from some other thing he did. But Fox News and these media organizations do create distractions. They create news stories out of nothing, like Obama bowing to whomever, or the apology tour, or the Seth Rich conspiracy. Yeah. And they distract everyone who's watching their channel from actual news that might impact them personally, that speaks to some sort of grievance, whether it's racial or economic or societal. And it, it, it I do think it foments this split we've seen in, in the country and the divide we have. Yeah, and it is, there is a method to this madness, too, because the reason they're trying to talk about the Seth Rich conspiracy is they're saying, well, if it was the Democrats that actually had someone of one of their own assassinated, which is fucking crazy, then it could there couldn't be collusion between Trump and Russia, right? So they're trying to like undermine well, the entire investigation which is with, exactly this what silly, doing. with this silly story. But, yeah. you know, we'll get polls out in a couple weeks from now that show a good segment of the Republican base believes that there was something to this conspiracy. And again, there is just no equivalent to this on the left. It does not exist. Rachel Maddow and Nancy Pelosi are not, you know, making up stories. I mean, look, maybe there's a bit of wisdom to Democratic Rush Limbaugh, you know? Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's a little bit of a lesson there. And I, I think, like, <laughs> the, I, I, this does all Stupid. speak to the frustration that everyone in the Clinton orbit has felt for literally decades. Because that woman has been accused of killing Vince Foster and having a hit list and all these things by these same apparatuses. And we almost got numb to it. Who was one of the people peddling the Vince Foster thing back then? Newt Gingrich. Newt Gingrich is a horrible human being. <laughs> he is a disgusting piece of garbage. It's... No one should invite him to any event or listen to him. I don't want to see another goddamn climate change, change commercial <laughs> where he's sitting on a fucking couch with I know, Nancy Pelosi. Man. Like, he's gross. You can't, you don't come back from that. You can have extreme policy views that we all disagree with, one thing. But, like, when you're peddling this kind of shit, you're out. Like, Pompous monster. I think what Justin Amash wants to do to the country would be terrible. But Me I believe too. he's an adult. He's sincere. He cares. He's trying to do, he's he's using his position to, to put forward the policy agenda he believes will help the country. New King Rich just a, a vicious little creep. Yeah, I'm going to ship his ass to Rome. Get rid of him. <laughs> Right, right. Well, that was the point that I think I think I think actually Weigel made on Twitter, which is Callista is going to have a nomination hearing uh, to become, I guess, the ambassador to the Vatican because uh, you know, she's in. the most qualified person we could find uh, to do that job. <laughs> whatever, who cares? It's not a real job. But uh, uh, some of these ambassadorships are not real jobs. Uh, it's throwing parties for priests. Whatever. But uh, um, it's it is. interesting. <laughs> What, what exactly high-flying policy-making do you think the Vatican ambassador is doing? It's a, it's a tiny little city full of full of sexless old men. I don't even want to uh, have this I feel debate. like I'm a Twitter straw man getting the crap beaten out of him <laughs> But right the now. point <laughs> is, I hope that she gets asked about her husband's absurd rhetoric during the hearing because she's only nominated because she's married to him. So. Well, that'll be fun. Well, that's all the time we have today. <laughs> is that it? That's it. Do okay. you guys have anything else you yeah, want to talk about? you want to inject some other topics? I don't know. No. All right, guys. Well... We'll talk to you on Thursday. Weather on the ones and twos. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the time we have for today. Pod Save America, signing off. <laughs>